This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to How To Money, a financial education podcast for young Australians aimed at opening up the conversation around money. In each episode, your host, Kate Campbell, brings in a variety of guests to explore everything from buying shares to starting your own business, all with the aim of kickstarting your personal finance journey. Just a quick reminder that everything we cover in this podcast is for financial education purposes only, and we are not giving you any advice. If you do want advice, please seek the help of a qualified and competent professional and do some research. Remember, it's your money, so take control. Hi, Beck. Thank you so much for coming on the How To Money podcast today. Thank you, Kate. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, before we dive into today's content, I was wondering if you could just introduce yourself and a little bit about your quite interesting career path. (laughs) has been quite the journey. My name's Beck Brown and I'm a PR professional, public relations professional and crisis communications manager. Uh, I live in Sydney and I have a company called the comms department and we look after public relations and crisis communications for clients across the media, entertainment, travel and lifestyle industries. Uh, We have a team across Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and Auckland And uh, we have an all-senior team. And fun fact, we've never actually had a central office. So for the last almost 10 years, we've been working remotely with teams all working from home. So we were rather lucky when COVID hit that we were all set up and ready to go with our work. Um, But I wasn't always in public relations. Uh, When I was a little girl, I had these big visions of being a musical theatre star. I wanted to appear on Broadway or in London's West End. And I went down that path and I went and studied music at the conservatorium and I went straight on that path of being a singer and I was performing in musicals and in jazz bands. I was doing opera. And it felt like a really great career for me at that time. However, when I was 25, I have what I call my um, quarter life crisis in that I realized I just wasn't very happy in what I was doing. While I loved music, I didn't actually love the day-to-day life that you had to have as a performer. And back then, the world wasn't as connected. We didn't have smartphones before social media hit. And it was a lot harder to really stay connected with family and friends. And I also wasn't used to working at night all the time and, you know, kind of sleeping in the day a lot more. And it just, there were a lot of things about it that didn't suit me. And not long after that, I really realized I just had to have a career shift in order to have a happy life. And there was a bit of a grieving period that went with that because I'd given up this long-held dream and I, that I'd been training for ever since I was really young. But I made the choice to move across into public relations. At first, I thought I wanted to be a journalist, but then I knew that this thing called PR, which I still didn't really understand at the time, 
you got to work with the media, but you also got to promote things that you um, believe in and care about, and that you can also have a bit of power for influence and to do good. So all of those things appealed to me while I got to also write and create and problem solve. So that's so back to uni, <laughs> started again, <laughs> nothing like going back to uni, and uh, did a media and communications graduate diploma. And then not long after that, got my first gig um, in a PR agency. Then met a few years later, I slugged it out at a small boutique firm for a little while, working, funnily enough, on financial clients, which was a big shift for me for somebody who'd always studied music. Um, but what was great about that was that I learned a lot of business acumen that I probably would never have had been exposed to. And so that was very, very helpful to me and has been helpful to me down the track when I've had my own business. Not long after that came my big favourite favorite job that I've ever had as an employee and it was working at Universal Music and it was in their PR department. So I got to combine my two loves of music and publicity Mm -hmm. and got to work with amazing big international superstars and some great Australian artists as well. I was there for five years which taught me um, how to be a good publicist, how to work with the journalists, how to keep stakeholders happy, how to work with big personalities and then I did, though, always have that yearning, which many, many people have, was to start my own business. And I also, toward the end of my time at Universal, realised that while I really loved all of the different artists that I was working on, I didn't really have any autonomy or choice over my schedule or exactly who I'd be working on. And so I wanted to take a bit of that ownership back again and Also, as my worldview broadened, I realised that I wasn't just interested in music. I also loved to travel and um, was thinking how great it would be to promote travel companies or manage the comms for travel companies. I also just loved healthy lifestyles. I'm a big love fitness and I love getting out and being active and healthy eating. And so all of those different things and just entertainment in general. I love movies. I love TV. I love all of the other forms of entertainment that aren't just music. So Having the opportunity to create a business that could cater to all of those things um, was what finally led me to where I am now, almost 10 years, I think it's nine years later, Mm. with the comms department. That was a very long-winded introduction by me. I will stop and (laughs) pause and take breath now. (laughs) No, I think it's really interesting to hear that, especially as someone that's in their early 20s, the way that your career has sort of taken shape and formed over the last few decades. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No. And it's just, it's really interesting to see that, that sometimes you do have a dream career and you reach that and then you might decide, well, that's not what I want to do anymore. I still love it, but it's not the career I want to pursue for the next 10 years. And that you can go back and study, you can go get an internship or work at a different firm and change your career path. And I think that's what we need to think about more as young people, that our careers aren't this defined straight line. They're, they go all over the place. So I think it's really good to hear a little bit more about your introduction. And one of the things they talk a lot about school at school is finding your passion and you'll never work a day in your life, which I think for a young person, that's a really misleading statement because you're 16, 17, 18, and you just, for most people, you have absolutely no idea what you want to do. And for me, like I, I wanted to be in the defense force when I was in high school and, uh, that I, I did get that dream and then it wasn't the right dream at the time. So a little bit similar to you. And then uh, through trying different things, I've ended up in finance. So I really like that in your book, you spoke about that if you 
don't really know what your passion is right now, follow your curiosity. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about how to do that, especially as a young person when you don't exactly know which direction to go in. Yeah, definitely. That's a great point. The idea too of following your passion, and and I love that you said, you know, find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. It's so unrealistic that that would ever happen to you because no matter what job you have, like I love my job, but there are parts of it that are tedious and exhausting and not very enjoyable, but you do them because they end up having the full, you know, the final outcome of this great thing that you're doing. But it's very misleading and sets you up to for failure, really, to mm. think that that's ever going to be the case. Um, without a doubt, find something that you're passionate. If you're lucky enough to have a passion, that's great. When I started studying in public relations, I, I, I will be the first to say it wasn't my passion. I was interested <laughs> in it. I was curious yeah. about it. I didn't know much about it, so I wanted to know more about it. And over time, that has absolutely grown into a passion for me. Mm. So maybe think finding passions. They might just be things that you absolutely love to do and would do even if you weren't being paid for it. It's probably a good way of looking at it. But what is interesting to note too is that I really love making chocolate brownies. I love baking. It's one of my things I love to do. But I've not turned it into a business because I think that the second I did that, it would probably suck all the joy out of it and it wouldn't be fun. It wouldn't be something I enjoy doing. It wouldn't be something that I get to create these gifts for people and give away. So sometimes your passions aren't the best indicator of where you should be going. So if you do know your passion, great, amazing, follow it, go for it. In terms of finding your curiosities, this is about looking at all of the things that you might be interested in. Now, what you can do is create a list of what those things might be. And they might be really, um, they might be like hard skill kind of activities, such as you might like to write, or you might like to code, or you might like to do some kind of fitness activity, so many different things. Or they might be more soft skills, like you like problem solving, or you like listening to other people's stories or you like um, you like to try to think of some other soft skills. Even if it's like your empathy, you might be a really compassionate person. So you can list all of those things down because, for example, if you are a really compassionate person, perhaps you may want to end up working for a not-for-profit or that you might want to work for a full-purpose company instead. So there's different ways that you can do that. So create that list first. Another thing I'd recommend is then Look at that list of things you're kind of curious about and then say, which of these things am I actually pretty good at already? Like what is kind of intrinsic to me? What's what's something that I could just jump on and kind of start now? And maybe just put a circle around those because they're often it's often a lot more fun to do things you're good at <laughs> than doing things that you really, really don't enjoy. Nothing wrong with being curious about things and not being good at them. If you're really curious about them, keep going. And that will always lead you in a good direction. The other thing too is knowing that it's absolutely okay. Chances are you'll change your career path three or four times, maybe more in your life. No longer are we going to be stuck on one career path for our entire lives. It just isn't the way that the world is operating anymore. And you're, and the great thing about that is to remember that you're under no obligation to remain the same person that you were perhaps when you're in school or even when you're at uni or whenever. It's also quite hard sometimes. There might be some really well-meaning 
people in your lives, whether it's family or friends who really care about you and they might be a little bit disappointed or they might be a bit confused about why you've changed that direction. And I felt when I was leaving music, I actually felt that I was letting some people down because I was like, oh, my, my parents had spent all this money on sending me to mm. a music school and, gosh, all the lessons that driven me to and my old music teacher. And I really felt terrible. I was like, what am I going to do? I'm letting them all down by changing these paths. But you're under no obligation to that. And ultimately, those well-meaning people just want to see you happy <laughs> and enjoying something that you're doing. So it's a good way to move on. Mm, absolutely. Now, one of the things I really wanted to ask you was, as someone sort of going into the world of work next year, if you're a graduate, maybe a high school graduate, uni graduate, or just someone that's uh, maybe changing jobs, what are some of these essential skills that we should be thinking about and practicing and getting on top of for the the world of work in 2021 and beyond? Yeah. Let's look at um, soft skills and hard skills again. But so when I say soft skills, it could be like your mental ability to do things. And I think the one of the clearest things that this year has shown us is that you need to be adaptable or flexible in mm. what you're doing. And, you know, some people don't like change. Some people, some people love change. You know, everybody's quite different. But no matter which end of the spectrum you fall on, anybody can learn to become adaptable. And it's just about kind of stepping back from the moment and saying, okay, this is what's happened, not getting too attached to the past, not getting too attached to this pretend, this future that you imagined for yourself. And just, again, put yourself in the mindset that you'll embrace whatever kind of change comes ahead with you as well. Um, As you would have seen this year, as we've all seen this year, businesses have had to adapt to survive and pivot is one of those words that's been heavily overused (laughs) this year. There's been a lot of pivoting going on. (laughs) Mm. So being able to do that is is super important. Within that though, and something that I think is equally important is having, and I talk about this in You've Got This, and the idea is to have like adaptability and flexibility, but balance it up with some structure. So have some structure and framework in your life in order to kind of reach the goals that you want to do. If you have no structure and framework to your life, and by that it might mean you know, having set days that you're doing set projects or work or study. It might mean things like, again, keeping healthy and well. So making sure that your fitness levels are up and making sure that you're eating healthy food and getting enough sleep and that you're spending enough time with family or friends. All of those things might sound a bit like, of course, that's what we're supposed to do. But they're so important to us when we're trying to develop a professional a professional persona and a professional career. So get your structure and flexibility balance in play first and then everything else can kind of fall in line alongside of that. So structure flexibility underpins everything that we do. In terms of some other skills that would be really helpful right now, communication skills, really critical. So being able now that it kind of depends in some states we're all catching up in real life in other states we're all catching up via video calls but regardless of your format it's no better time than now to actually stay connected so Mm. if you are um already in an industry it's how can I stay connected to people in the industry who can I ask out for a coffee who could I have a zoom call with who could I just have a phone call with who could I ask out for lunch make sure again 
choose a target of three people every week to catch up with. That might be a lot of people if you don't have time to do that. (laughs) But choose and map it out in your month and go, okay, I'm going to make a real conscious effort of making sure that I catch up with people. The idea that the smarter, like this is the other thing too, no matter how old you are, uh, no matter what stage of your career you're in, you're always going to be kind of leveling up. And so you always want to look out for people who are smarter than you so that you can grow. And it's about seeking out people in the industry who you are influenced by or who you think are, you know, have, are doing something really interesting and just um, stay in touch with them. Also, your peers, your peers or your bosses or your customers, just stay in contact now more than ever. The other thing too is your online presence is very important at the moment. Again, now more than ever because we can't see each other in real life as much as we would. What is online is how people are finding out about you. So make sure that your social media is up to date. If you're looking for work or if you are setting up a business, you need to make sure that absolutely everything that's online about you that's in your control is completely in line with what you stand for and what you value. And so perhaps do a social media audit, go back through and if anything's public facing and it's not in line with what you believe in and what you value or what professionally you'd like people to see, perhaps it's time to delete it. There have been many a cases, particularly recently, where some social media posts that somebody has done 10 years ago uh, is getting somebody in trouble now. And I'm sure that you're a very different person now than you were 10 years ago. I know I am, but it's even more so when you're a little bit younger, like think of how much you've changed. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad that social media didn't exist to the level that it does now when I was really young because I would have posted really silly things, (laughs) I think. So learn from my mistakes (laughs) and just, um, yeah, it's it's a good one to, to check all the time. So structure and flexibility, underpinning everything, then do a social media audit, check what's online for you, and then stay connected, communicate with everybody as much as you can. That would be my Mm. four most important things. Yeah, absolutely. And when Facebook have those, that comes up with the memories from 10 years ago, and you see what you wrote when you were in high school. (laughs) And you're like, oh, I'm I'm glad we don't post like that on Facebook (laughs) anymore. I, I think that's sort of moved off the platform but that's a definitely a good reminder to delete some of that content <laughs> from back in the day <laughs> but yeah I think we often forget that um, all our social media presences are an, just an extension of ourselves and we often present a different person in the workplace to we do on social media but when we're going for jobs and building our networks they're looking at everything and forming a picture of us based on all of that so what are some of the the best ways to build our sort of social media presence and our personal brand in a way that's coherent and represents us in the best way possible. Yeah, I talk a lot in You've Got This, there's a whole chapter on building your personal professional brand um, and it's followed very closely by a chapter all around success and what it means to you and I'll talk about both because they're very, they're really woven together. There's also another whole chapter in there about social media, which is a good one to read too. (laughs) But the personal professional brand, it's all about finding out who you are and what you stand for. And that's all linked back to your values. And when you know what your values are, your values are like a guiding light. So every time you have to make a decision, you look at what you actually value and then you can decide what you're going to do based on whether it's in line with that. And again, just like your passions or your curiosities, your values are different for absolutely everybody. 
and something that will evolve over time as well and will probably shift and change. So values are things like it could be success, it could be um, family, it could be your health, it could be having a lot of money, it could be wealth, it could be compassion, so it could be like working with working with other people or how you show up to the world for others. Honestly, there's so many different values that you could have and they're really different to everybody. So in addition to perhaps working out what your curiosities or your passions are, do a list of what is really important to you. And the best way to kind of rank those is when you've got a list of, say, 10 of them, look at them and go, okay, if I could only choose one of these out of this list of 10, what would it be? So when I did mine, for example, and mine shifts and changes over the years, when I look at mine, mine right now is my number one value is my health. Because for me, I'm like, if I'm not healthy, I can't shop for anybody in the world. I'm no good to anybody. So that is going to have to be the number one thing. But number two is compassionate connection. It's about connecting with people as much as I can and showing up to them in a nice, authentic way. And then it flows on from there. Um, Where success is on my list these days, it's probably dropped a little bit from where it was 10 years ago because for me, really building a successful career was really important to me 10 years ago. Nothing wrong with that. Same with wealth. It was probably a bit higher. They're still on my list, don't get me wrong, but they're not <laughs> up as high as perhaps yeah. they once were. They're certainly not above my health and they're certainly not about connecting with, above connecting with others. But again, everybody's different. So map out those and then once you have those, you can start to get a feel for who you are as a person and how you show up to the world. And then if you're looking at what you want to be posting on your social media, for example, you can kind of define who you are and what you stand for. And then everything that you're posting can come back to those 10 points each time. And that's where it gets really fun as well. You might want to decide, and don't get me wrong, there could be like personally, you might have a very personal private Facebook that you're much more open with your family and very close family and friends with that you don't allow open to your clients or your bosses or your um, fellow employees. So just be really mindful of that around what's professional and what's personal. For many people, and I'll say myself included, there's a big mix between their professional and their personal. Because of the way that I've set up the comms department, we only take on clients that we truly passionately believe in and and love. And that's all steeped in my personal values as well. So when I'm posting something on social media, it all kind of bleeds into one in many ways. Also, a lot of the media contacts and clients that I have have become really close personal friends over many years. So there's a lot of crossover. So there's nothing wrong with that. It can be big crossover. But my biggest piece of advice is if in doubt, don't post it. Like if there's a part of you that goes, oh, I'm not sure. I wonder if this will be a bit controversial or just sit on it for 24 hours, have a think about it, and then maybe consider not posting it. I think as well that there's another good rule in PR and that is the idea that everything that you say and do is public relations. So you could have the most amazing social media presence. You could have a really great kind of brand reputation in terms of who you are in the workplace, but it it matters more about what you do and say every day of your life that you show up for people. It's, It's when you are going to get a coffee from the cafe. It's what you're like with your boss. It's what you're like with your family. All of those things build your character and your character is what 
creates reputation um, built over time, built over consistency. So consistency is another key word there, I think, particularly with social media. And you would know this very much so that when you're building, um, and which is great from all of your socials too, that when you are building things, create consistently and post consistently as well so that people can get a real feel for you. And as you said, that you that you they can start to build an idea and form an idea of who you are. So yeah, I think they're the big kind of general rules. It's about being authentic. And again, authentic, much like pivot, gets used a lot <laughs> as a word. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't make it any less meaningful. Um, the happier people are those who are authentically being themselves in a way that doesn't harm others. So that's a great place to start when you're looking at building your professional brand. Mm. And it's a lot easier to approach it that way because I know at the start of my career, I almost had three different personalities. Like I had the, the company presence and then I had my personal and then I had something different with my friends and it, it was sort of very hard and mishmash. So it's much easier now where you live out authentically, your whole personal and professional brand is the same thing because it's you and you've worked out who you are. Very, very true. And, you know, that is true because sometimes particularly when we are a little bit younger or like let's say as we're leaving school, we might have had different types of friendship groups as well and we might have shown up slightly different to each of those friendship groups in different ways, almost like a bit of a chameleon where you, (laughs) while you're still yourself, you perhaps acted slightly differently around each of those groups of people. And as we get older and grow, that kind of falls away and you end up just being who you are. <laughs> and and that consistency, again, is what people remember. Yeah, it's much easier to just start off that way <laughs> at it the is. start of your career than have to work out how to merge everything together. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's really summarised. I, I read one of the lines in your book, which was, if you know what your values are, every decision's easy. And I think that just summarises everything we've just said so well. And it does make things easy when you know what you stand for because you can say no when things don't align and you know how you're representing yourself and what you want to do. And one of the other things I want to talk about is how do you, as a young person, often we need to stand out and get noticed and we don't want to blend into every other person with a a commerce degree or an arts degree. And um, a lot of that responsibility falls on us because we need to, we need to do more nowadays than just put a CV on a hiring manager's desk. We've got to, show who we are but we've also got to show evidence of our work and we've got to be able to demonstrate our communication skills so what are your tips uh, for probably people in their 20s on how to stand out and sort of set themselves apart from the crowd yeah with things like your cv and or applying for a job the biggest tip that i can give which underpins again what we actually do at the comms department when we're pitching stories to journalists is that it's all about personalization and tailoring your approach to that specific company. So, for example, when we're pitching a media story out, if I'm pitching something to the Herald Sun, it will be versus if I was pitching out a media story to Channel 7 Sunrise, they're very different media outlets with different audiences and different ways of creating segments or articles. Therefore, when I do it, I I just have to create a tailored pitch that's entirely suited to them. And much goes the same with if you're applying for a job um, or if you're trying to stand out anywhere. It's all about personalisation and knowing your audience. So know the company that you're applying for. Even find out, if you can, who the hiring manager is. Like find out who they are 
And then when you tailor your uh, CV, always tailor it with a cover letter that's completely tailored to that organisation and make sure that it, you know, it, the best kind of communicators don't necessarily just talk about themselves all the time. They also talk about the other person in the conversation. And in that instance, it's the company. So it would be talking about the skills that you have, but then how they can be applied to the company as well. And that, again, it shows it shows empathy and compassion. It shows good communication skills, which can often be a little bit hard to actually assess. And it shows that you are problem solving, shows that you're really thinking about what the business needs. Often, again, it, it can be hard from the outside looking in with a company about what their business problems are and how you can solve them. But generally speaking, you can get a, a bit of an idea. You, you'll know who their customers are, for example, and you might know who their target market is and you could talk to that as well. And then just back that up if you can with, you know, absolutely some experience that you've had. If you have no experience in it, but it's something that you're really interested in, tell them your why. Tell them why that's important to you. And you might have a great story that demonstrates why this particular company that you're going for is important to you. If you were going for a position with a, this is so random, I'm literally making something up. <laughs> you were going for a job with a huge, beautiful um, architectural firm mm. and you told a story about how your grandmother introduced you to architecture and would take you to see beautiful buildings when you were a little girl and that's something that always stuck with you and then because of that you're doing that and every beautiful building you design is a legacy to her you know that's powerful and I'm like wow this person sounds interesting to me I, that's just this story this yeah. storytelling so any kind of storytelling that you can explain to somebody makes you stand out from the crowd because everybody else will just be either I'm actually staggered by the number of people who don't even do a cover letter they just submit their CV and hope for the best. Whereas if you send a personalised, directly addressed to the person who it's going to um, rather than a to whom it may concern and then explain the story, do some great storytelling throughout it, keeping in mind you don't, it's not a creative writing exercise. You do need to maintain a level of corporate professionalism but mm. and it doesn't need to be three or four pages long, like keep it under a page. But that kind of thing makes you stand out from the crowd because it gets people to know who you are. Your why is super important. And if you're even starting out on LinkedIn, I advise people to put their why, like particularly because a lot of the time you don't necessarily have the experience to show on LinkedIn, but you can always talk about why you're passionate about what you do and why you want to work in the space that you do. And that's a compelling story that lots of people like to hear about. Mm, and I think that that story point is so important because people remember the stories, they remember the interesting people, they remember the passionate people. I mean, passion is contagious and I love working with people that are passionate about what they do, whether it's design or video editing or coding or finance and uh, it just makes it so much more fun and interesting to talk to. So I think that's definitely something to think about incorporating. How can you tell a story or weave it in in a way that's relevant but also as helps you stand apart. And one of the other things I wanted to ask about was a lot of firms are asking for video in applications now. So they might say, instead of sending a resume, I want a five-minute video. So do you have any tips on that? Because that's quite a new method and I don't think they're probably talking about it at school yet. 
It is. That is a that is a tough one. And it is probably coming down to a little bit like doing video calls. It's kind of let's get your background sorted so that, you know, because you're giving them a glimpse. This is one snapshot that you're going to give them. And first impressions count always. So this is your moment to shine. And it's your moment to, again, be a real human because they don't want to see a stage performer. They want to see you. Because that's the other thing, they're not going to, because the idea of an interview is to get you to the next stage, which is usually an in-person interview, when they actually get to see you and get to know you better. And in that instance, there's no point putting on a performance because that will always just, that, that will get shown up in the later steps. So really simple things around um, curating a great video is to try and just a fairly neutral background. Um, I wouldn't necessarily do just like a blank wall because that kind of doesn't say anything. It might be nice to have something, if, if it is from your home, something that is a little bit personal to you without you don't want a cluttered background, background and you don't need your cat and your dog being shot. You don't need everything. But just something that showcases who you are. But again, I would be differing it. If you're going for a large financial firm, maybe they do want you to have a plain background. If you're going for more of a creative arts role, they probably want to see more of a creative arts background. So tailor again, tailor, it's all tailored personalization. So mm-hmm. tailor according to the company and the role that you're going for. Then really simple things like when you're doing your interview and you're speaking to the camera, um, make sure you're if you're recording it on your on your laptop or on your phone, make sure you're actually looking at the camera and not at your screen, at yourself. So look at the camera, don't look at yourself because if you're looking at yourself in the screen, you're not actually giving eye contact to the people that you're speaking to. It's all about eye contact. Then in terms of what you can say, much like, almost treat it like you would write a cover letter and that cover letter you're going to speak instead. And for some people, that might be easier to kind of create a bit of a script for yourself and and kind of not learn it, but well, kind of have some key talking points that you talk through. You don't want to look like you're reciting a script because <laughs> then people will think, oh, they're a bit of a robot. And so, again, it comes back to being personable and and kind of a real human being. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Other just tips like, you know, film it in a nice light, bright space when you don't have light coming behind you. Um, try not to wear like, again, maybe keep your dress corporate or according to what you need to wear based on the role. I would be wearing clothes that I would wear to that workspace. So again, if you're going for a job in a law firm, you'd be wearing a suit. Like you've got to, well, if, if that law firm will wear suits. So kind of depends, tailor it and wear what you would wear. Um, it's that whole idea that you want to be an upbeat version of yourself. So you want a good day, that's what you want to be putting out to people. And you said as well that passion is contagious and it's so true. What is interesting too is that the camera will often suck energy a little bit out of you. So you often need to almost give 10% more than you'd usually Mm. give in order to be upbeat and bright as well. Otherwise, it can come across as being a bit dull and a bit tired. Yeah, (laughs) especially if some hiring managers watching 20 of these in a row, you want to stand out somehow and wake them up from whatever. They're probably half asleep watching all of this. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And that's the thing, you just hit the nail on the head when you said you want to shock them out and you don't want to wait, you don't want to be doing that in a crazy way. But you don't want to be remembered as the crazy person. But what you do want is to be remembered. And that's why the people who kind of would speak the corporate jargon of, you know, 
these, these were my accountable roles and like speaking in language that you don't really actually use in person mm-hmm. isn't isn't going to be memorable yeah absolutely and you, you really want them to be able to remember you and also you don't know where this video is going to go so you want to put a video to them that you'd be happy if it ended up on LinkedIn somehow very very true do you know and that applies to literally everything even in the emails that you write you never know where that's going to end up. And so we have a bit of, I have a bit of a rule that if I'm putting anything in writing or if I put it on video, I've got to be happy that that might one day land on the front page of the Australian newspaper or that it might be on the homepage of the Australian. And that always senses me enough to be like, oh, is that a good idea to write that? And again, Mm -hmm. it comes back to owning who you are and coming back to making sure that everything you put out is in line with your values and your values and your, and what you stand for. And I think once once you get in the corporate world, you you realise how easy it is for a, maybe a not so nice email chain to be forwarded externally and reflect quite badly upon certain people involved. So it's always always good to remember that what you say, even in a private email, could end up anywhere. Very very true. <laughs> Absolutely. So the the last question I wanted to ask before we finish up today was just I've had a few people ask about how to build their own network, I guess we could say, and and building some strong relationships in maybe an industry they're really interested in working in, but they don't personally know anyone or have any connections. Um, And how do they do this in this ever-increasing world, uh, increasingly digital world, where they, I guess the only option they think they have is just to send a friend request on LinkedIn and say, do you want to have a Zoom coffee, which doesn't seem very exciting. Do you have any ideas for that? Yeah, that's it is hard and we are we have entered this year has really changed things in that respect because it used to be easier to go to a networking event or any kind of industry event to meet the people that you wanted to target. There's a few different options. One is there might I'm sure that you would find even if it's a completely foreign industry to you, I bet that you know somebody who knows somebody in that industry and one of the very best ways to kind of get somebody's time is for somebody else to recommend that they chat to you or to introduce you to them. So I will be the first to say I get a lot of like kind of unsolicited emails and and LinkedIn requests and I just don't have the hours in the day, unfortunately, to reply to them all. But generally speaking, the ones I prioritise are if somebody that I actually know comes to me and says, hey, I just wanted to introduce you to this person. Would you mind giving them five minutes of your time? Absolutely, yes, I can do that. So there'll always be somebody that you will know somewhere. And even if it's not the time, it's getting closer. It's that idea that little by little, step by step, like a spider web, you're going to step across that little spider web and you'll get to know the spider in the middle. (laughs) So get to know different people in the industry. And funnily enough, that they're the a couple of times I've gone, oh, I need to get to know person A. In order to get to know person A, I have to go via person C to then B to A. I've gone to person C and they've gone, yeah, introduce me to person B. And then in the middle, person B has actually sent me off on a tangent to person X, Y, Z, and they're far more interesting and amazing than person A was. So that's the great fun thing about life Mm -hmm. is that, you know, we keep finding new people. But so sorry, I've just gone down a tangent myself. So, <laughs> <laughs> so if we make sure that we look for whatever opportunities we current that currently already exist, so know the people in your network. Outside of that, 
There are still networking opportunities going on in different industries. They've just moved to virtual. So see if there are any groups that you can be connected in. For example, there are groups like, for women, there are groups like Future Women or there are groups like Business Chicks and there are networking industry groups that you can pay to become a member of and membership can be incredibly cheap or you don't need a full membership. You could just pay to go to one of their small events and from there you'll get to know people in the industry. And again, you've got to see this as a lifetime investment. It's not something that is going to be built overnight you need to be patient, but you've got to be persistent with it. Mm. There's a really great podcast called, it's the Jordan Harbinger Show. He's a US, Uh, yeah, yeah, US-based guy. And he has a free online course that he uses that I would highly recommend actually that kind of helps you create industries and, and networking communities and helps you to stay in touch with those people. And he uses, like, he honestly just uses procedures and systems in order to make you do it. So it's a really pragmatic, do this, don't do that, step-by-step approach. So that would be a good one. So it's the Jordan Harbinger Show. If you go to his website, I'm pretty sure he actually has the free online course on there, and that would give some really good advice as well. Outside of that, the final thing kind of comes back to that idea of personalization or tailoring. It's being an empathetic human and kind of looking at who the person that you want to approach, get to know them. And you can do that very easily on social media and, and online. I think it's called stalking. Just get to know who they are a little bit and then you'll soon find out what they value and what's important to them. And when you find out what's important to somebody else, it's very easy to then connect with them. And, again, you want to do that in an authentic way. You know, I, I'm not a huge motoring sports enthusiast for example so if I was approaching somebody who was you know into NASCAR and the Grand Prix I'm still not going to struggle to know what we're going to have to talk about in common so don't pretend that you are interested in something that somebody else is in but um, just go down the route of being an authentic compassionate empathetic human and that will help to generate conversations one of my favorite sayings which is in the book um, which is in you've got this is if you're feeling nervous, be of service. And the idea behind that is that if you are feeling a bit like, oh, I, I can't go and approach this person, they're just going to think I'm an idiot or they'll be like, who are you to be approaching me? It's more about what could you bring to the table to help them? What could you bring to the table that might be of interest to them? If they're a huge foodie, have you got some great restaurant tips that you or recipes that you could share with them? If they are working in a particular business and or if they're in real estate and there's some really great, interesting properties that you've just heard of um, that they might be interested in, could you, you know, send them to them? Again, connect people. Um, if you know that somebody is a huge supporter of um, like animals and conservation work and there's a great like kind of event happening or a charity event happening you know could you connect to those people so it's about finding out what's important to people and then helping fill that service and it that's not to suck up to them it's not about pandering to them or you know it's none of that it's really just about being a genuine human and and looking for a genuine connection. And not every connection is going to land. That's the other thing you need to keep in mind. Um, Sometimes it might be that that person isn't the right fit for you or it might simply be that person is really busy at the moment and they just don't have the time and hopefully, you know, another time down the track, maybe they will. Mm. But, yeah, with COVID, I think all bets have been off a bit more, but 
it is very much a lean-in approach of you can't just lean back and expect people to kind of come to you. You have to go out seeking them. So there's a bit of hustle going on there. Yeah, you definitely have to actively take control of that part of your life and really, really, even as someone that's sent these kind of messages or received them, having that tailored approach has a pretty high success rate, I've found, or just finding something about them that you could relate to. So uh, I definitely, definitely recommend doing it that way. Well, Beck, you've packed so much great info into this episode and I hope everyone's really enjoyed it. But if people want to find a bit more about you and check out your book, which I know is available in hard copy and audiobook, where should they go? Thank you. Well, the, one of the best spots would be at the comsdepartment.com.au. So that's T-H-E-C-O-M-M-S department.com.au. Otherwise, if you just Google Beck Brown Penguin Books, um, you've got this will pop up. And uh, yeah, thank you. It's been so nice talking to you. And I hope that if you're listening, that this has been helpful to you too. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for coming on the show, Beck. Thanks, Kate. Thank you for listening to this episode of the How To Money Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and send any questions our way via www.howtomoney.online. You can also catch us on Twitter and Instagram at howtomoneyaus and we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the How To Money Podcast.